0: Welcome to the Sourced Podcast, the first one for 2023, the week in review, but I guess it's like about three weeks in review because we've been yes. away. My name is Michael Crutcher, Jordan McDonald, welcome back. It's good to be back. It's good to be working again.
1: It is good, isn't it? It is. My brain has been, has been doing absolutely <laughs> zilch for the last few weeks
0: and uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to lend it to something now. <laughs> there was sort of like, because Christmas was a Sunday, we sort of had like a two-week Break. It wasn't like Christmas was a Wednesday and you sort of have a week and a half. It was like two weeks.
1: Yeah, it was. It has felt like a longer break, which is great. But um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm happy to be back at the office.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, good to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And of course, we look at many things in our week in review podcast. We like to look at uh, things that involve audience engagement, which is what we do at Fifty Five Comms. It's trying to predict how audiences will react to things and trying to do strategic communications. And you can't do communication strategy unless you've got an understanding of audiences. So in the week in review, we always like to go and look back at what we've learned in the last week, in this case three weeks. Yep. And we can't start, Jordan, without. I feel as though we need some sort of drum roll because this week's been all about Prince Harry. Yes, and you're our royal correspondent. Oh, yeah. loosely, <laughs> loosely. You, you are you are the sourced royal correspondent. So, mm. tell us all about what the heck is going on with Prince Harry and his book written by a ghost writer called Spare. Okay,
1: um, look, I've I've only read a chunk of the first chapter, and that's on my little my iPhone here. This countless pages but it covers a lot of the awkward conversations he's had as a young boy his time at Lardgrove school and then the death of the death sorry of his mother princess diana so that's what we do
0: followed. on the source podcast we value our you've actually read some of this book which is fantastic I have a bit I've invested
1: some time at night because um, I've read
0: none of it yeah look you're not missing heaps but
1: <laughs> oh, it's yeah. okay it's um yeah, but what's fascinated me Throughout the process, sort of observing this royal media war or whatever back and forth and then reading the book, is it's very obvious that Harry, he despises the media yet it's so clear that he craves their attention at the moment. And, and he needs their he help He needs too. it. I mean, look at where the book is at the moment.
0: That's it, right. If there's no media and allowing uh, Harry to get out there, he doesn't get his millions of dollars. He's talking to no one. So, yes, he may despise it, but it's very handy for his wallet. It certainly is, and it's you know
1: it's the irony of you know they left the royal family, they left his duties behind, you know, and uh, decamped out to Vancouver Island for privacy, and then uh, decided that was too dull, and let's move to L.A. where there is
0: no privacy. Because if there's – the only thing worse than everyone talking about you is no one talking about you. That must be it. Yeah. So, you know, know, since moving to
1: the US, they've become celebrities, essentially. Royal reality TV stars, in a sense. And that's pretty much in a country where it's better to be a celebrity than fifth in line for the throne. So, the other – point to note here is something we bring up often is that power of the opposite and I think that's explaining why so many people are interested or engaged you've got two royals who left their royal duties they've moved to Los Angeles of all places and now they're exporting the privacy of their relationship and the whole royal family for the entire world to see and we know the US audiences and the world in general are just love an us versus them story and any gossip that keeps on giving. And fortunately for everyone else, Harry and Megan are very giving, very generous.
0: Very, very generous in yes. that regard. So, so what's the meaning of the title of the book, which is Spare? And I just assumed that was short for Despair, uh, which is my feeling when I... Encounter most of these stories, but what does spare mean? It's a good guess, but early in the book it's
1: addressed. Um, Harry explains how he was. It was made very clear to him from an early age that he was conceived and moulded as, as a backup should anything happen to his brother William. Uh, King Charles is quoted in the book as saying directly to Princess Diana, the day of Harry's birth, "Wonderful! Now you've given me an heir and a spare." My work is done.
0: Oh, bingo! There's Swipes a book his title. Hands
1: clean of that far out.
0: There's your book title there's and spare. Uh, a talking point. And away you go. Oh, look! I think with these things, uh, we're always interested in why stories get to be really popular. And there's no doubt that this story has interested a lot of people, and simply because the book sales that we take on face value have been very, very. Significant in terms of the number sold, and and we know from looking at these websites, there's so many stories about Harry there that they must be doing good business because they well, wouldn't have so many up there. So now, w- so if that's the case, there's a connector there. So what's the connector? Well, it's not the fact that we all know what it's like to be raised in the royal family. We don't. So it's not a connector. Have dinner with silver lids pulled off them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not we, quite. That's, but the connector, I guess, is. You know relations within families i mean a lot mm. of people have uh, you know family uh, you know relationships that aren't always great and this is being played out on the international stage with you know brothers not getting on you know father and son not getting on and all sorts oh, yeah. of other it's things the
1: biggest family breakdown at the moment absolutely and it's a
0: massive family breakdown and and I, I just feel so much for harry what a rough life he's led <laughs> you know, So, obviously, I'm being sarcastic in that regard. Uh, but he's managed to paint himself as a victim pretty yes, well he has. Um, in terms of uh, the audience. So, that, that's why I think the audience likes it. Um, this is me speaking completely unqualified because I've really not taken much notice of it. But there's that connector that we all have family members. So, that part of it is a real generator of interest. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what happens next because they don't do anything as such. So no, they don't. Yeah, so, so this is a story about Harry's life to this point. Yep, and
1: so what's next?
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and so let's have another look in six or 12 months to mm. see what the interest levels are. And, you know, often with reality TV stuff, things happen. Um, the change in audience behaviour on this will not be dictated so much by media. I, I think... Media will continue doing these stories and doing them in high volume until they think that audiences have had enough. Uh, audiences, you know, media doesn't stop doing stories just because they think audiences, uh, they're led that way by audiences. Yeah. So, and with the data they have these days and clicks on the internet, uh, streaming, etc. you know, that will be... Um, you know, a sign. So let's have a look in 12 months' time uh, to see where it's at. But it's totally understandable now. But they would have made a significant amount of money. So uh, hopefully Harry can find something uh, comforting in that. Yeah, I think the number was, I thought 20 million floating around at one point. So it's big money. Hopefully that uh, keeps him fed and uh, <laughs> secure for some time. Now, before Christmas, Jordan, in the last couple of uh, episodes of the source we can review we did talk about chat gpt Mm -hmm. so that is the artificial intelligence um, generator of text and it it arrived on november 30 and it dropped like a bomb Uh, this was ai in a way we'd never seen before it enabled people to uh, type in all sorts of uh, requests And chat GPT, which, of course, stands for... We all know that uh, GPT stands for Generative pre trained Transformer. Oh, I'm glad you told me that. Yes, we all know that. So, (laughs) people could type in requests and it would write poems, uh, scripts, essays within seconds. And it's generated from sweeping the internet and Mm. putting things together in a uh, way that is quite remarkable and we haven't seen before. So, one of the things we said, Jordan... Uh, because I did take one of my son's uh, school assignments and typed it in to uh, ChatGPT and it delivered me 300 outstanding words within seconds and then we took that, those words, and we put them into a plagiarism detector and the detector told us it was all original content. There was nothing plagiarised. So therefore you could see the eyes of school kids around the country lighting up at the prospect that they could just do this. Of course. And, of course, during the Christmas break, a lot of educators have got their heads around what ChatGPT can do. And it can do so much more than school assignments, but this is just an example of it. Um, And to the point the New York City school system banned any access on school uh, uh, computers to ChatGPT. But also... I read an interview with one of the founders who said um, was asked about this concern and he said, well, that's up to schools to um, work on, not us. We we can't hold back technology because schools are worried. Well, today's financial review has a story with two Australians who have developed a tool which they called AI Cheat Check, which does exactly what the label says it will. Mm. They claim that what happens with with their... um, with their new tool, which they developed in association, knowing these types of tools were were to be invented and released. And they very quickly have put this out. What they say is that users can um, copy and paste text generated uh, into AI cheat check. That then uses its own AI models to predict if the text has been written by a human uh, or a machine. And it uses uh, clues such as the word choice and the sentence structure. So um, my three sons don't listen to this podcast, but I will be telling them about AI Cheat Check... Yeah. And I hope the thing works. <laughs> yeah, <I'll laughs> I hope test it works. The theory. But yeah, it's so, this is such a fast moving space, sis. And, you know, I think we were really um, surprised in early December when we got our heads around uh, ChatGPT. Um, we've been messing around with it and seeing what it can do. And it is quite remarkable. So that brings its own questions. So the development of a. Uh, gpt detector has come pretty quickly let's see if it works or not but there's also been other things moving in this space jordan one of those has been microsoft um moving into the the ai chat gpt space yeah well it's
1: looking that way there's been talks that microsoft wants to invest 10 billion into the owner of chat gpt which is obviously the big popular app that we've uh, we've covered since late last year um, so that, that investment would go to OpenAI, which is the owner of ChatGPT, and the value of that business would come to 29 billion, which is pretty enormous for a company that hasn't quite figured out what its business model is. Yeah. And you know, it's a big, big price tag to slap on the Microsoft shareholders there.
0: But. Um, so well, why are Microsoft looking at ChatGPT? Because at the moment it's free. Yes. And yes. We know it's free because the creators are actually using sort of us as guinea pigs, I guess, so they can look at what we're using it for and then determine, you know, what they hadn't thought of, et cetera. So why are Microsoft keen on something that at the moment is free? I'm guessing it won't be for long. No, I I think you're right there too. For, For Microsoft, it's about positioning
1: themselves best for what they believe is likely to be the next revolution in technology. Microsoft's cloud service provides the computing power for OpenAI already. So, for Microsoft, it's just an opportunity to be at the forefront and help develop the new technology alongside OpenAI. Yep. Uh, for OpenAI, it's a temporary life vest in a tough situation because they're in the sort of preliminary stages with ChatGPT, figuring out how it's all going to work. It's bleeding money. Each time someone engages with the the bot, it costs the company a few cents in computing
0: power. Yeah. So, th- and often you get on Chat GPT and it tells you it's too busy. Yes, so it's always too busy, yeah. yet it
1: continues to spit things out. <laughs> it's hemorrhaging. Um, so, look, the ultimate goal here for OpenAI with the investment of Microsoft would be to figure out how to make money off the program, and uh, it's got two main programs: it's the Chat GPT and the Dolly or the Dali, yep. which is a text-to-image generation, which, yep. you know, creates those really spooky AI art things. Yeah. But once profitable, the Microsoft Microsoft will get seventy-five percent of their initial, sorry, of the profits until it's recouped that initial investment, and then that agreement will
0: downsize to or uh, for different percentages of ownership there. So this, this it's a fairly business. Uh, Jargon-heavy deal. So why why is it a big deal? This it's a big deal because together they
1: had the potential to disrupt and and create a pretty serious competitor for Google's search engines. Especially considering Google Google sorry has actually helped pioneer some of that technology that ChatGPT yep. or sorry that OpenAI is using already. Yep. Um, Microsoft was also in talk to incorporate some of the other AI technology from OpenAI into some of its own programs like Word and Outlook email.
0: So that would be like going into Outlook, getting your email up and just saying, please draft an email. Uh, that calls a meeting uh, of these few people yeah. on this day and time, and it'll do it for you straight away.
1: Yeah, I imagine so. The, the yeah. interesting part for me here will be how it compa- how it challenges Google search engine. The big thing that everyone warns you about with ChatGPT is that it doesn't actually search. It's not a search engine. That's why it says that to check the, the information to, to be true or not because it just... Yeah. Some you know, of it is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's It aims to give you the best possible sounding answer yeah. you know, you know, from sort of bot to human context. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the two come together there and really start to cause problems for Google, but it seems to be the way it's looking.
0: Yeah. Very interesting developments at the moment. Now, Golden Globes were on this week, Jordan. The yep. awards season in Hollywood is underway mm-hmm. now. Had some Australian winners. Kate Blanchett, congratulations. Yes. Uh, Those were people who won. However, Jordan, the Golden Globes, did you watch and did other people watch? Well, I watched
1: a total of two minutes, listened to a, probably a grand total of about 15 minutes
0: and that was about as long as I lasted. Um, I mean, were you doing that because out of a sense of duty to the source listeners? Yes, yes, absolutely. Not because you wanted to watch it as such. Oh,
1: certainly not. No, 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 no! I thought what a good podcast topic this might might be. God knows what could happen.
0: So you put out this week. You've, you've read some of the Harry book. Oh, I know. You've watched the Golden it's been a Big week. I'll sleep well. Yes, you've really all for the sourced audience. Mm. Anyway, in
1: terms of who tuned in this year, it was down from last year, but um, that's not the big problem. it's it's the fact that they've compared viewership this year to what it was in 2020, which at that time was 18 million who watched. So you compare the numbers, that viewership this year is down drastically. And the point in comparing these two audience numbers is to highlight what could possibly be the official collapse of any chance of high viewership for the awards show in future. Yep. And um, to make it very clear... this week's viewership was the lowest since NBC started broadcasting the show in 1996. Wow, that's getting so that's a shocker. Back and so, what's causing these struggles? Um, we've spoken about this before with the you know, the Oscars. There's a declining interest in award shows because they they seem to be too political or too woke. Uh, the, the Globes themselves, you know, had their own ethics and diversity scandal two years ago, which you know certainly offended audiences, yep. particularly young people who are also most likely to tune in and watch yep. for, watch the awards. But it also doesn't help that this year the show was broadcast on a Tuesday in the US. And that's because the NFL added an additional week to its regular season in 2021. So that time slot on Sunday in early January, which is usually reserved for the Globes, was taken up by Sunday Night Football. And the awards ceremony was just chucked on a Tuesday it's just a weeknight
0: where people are ordinarily watching TV less. Yeah, well, you know, we know we've discussed before when the NFL flexes its muscle in the US, TV shows have to run. That's it. Because uh, the NFL is king in that space. So, mm. um, oh, look, at, yeah, Golden Globes. They're not the Oscars, are they? No. Nah. No, all the award shows are a bit ordinary at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, I listened to a really interesting uh, podcast over the holidays with um, Peter Jackson. Oh, yeah. because was the creator of the uh, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. movie trilogy mm-hmm. um, with his partner, Fran Walsh. He was asked a question about the Oscars these days and the relevance of the Oscars because the final instalment of that Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King, won 11 Oscars. Phew. So massive at, at the time. And he was asked a question about whether, you know, <coughs> would the modern-day Oscars... Um, show so much love for a, I guess, a blockbuster movie like that or have they moved more into the, you know, sort of arty space, etc.? And he admitted that, no, The Return of the King probably doesn't win 11 Oscars these days. And that's probably an issue we mentioned before that, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, whose movies as a producer have been some of the biggest movies uh, in the years gone by. He's never had one Oscar nomination Maybe he gets his first one this time uh, because now the Oscars give out 10 best pitcher nominations rather than five um, to increase the interest levels. Mm. And maybe Top Gun Maverick gets a big best pitcher nom, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I think with this, you know, it used to be before streaming came along and social media that, yeah, sort of the Oscars are a big deal because they're on TV but not anymore. That's not the case. So uh, you, know, you mentioned there that the Golden Globes ran away from the NFL. Um, we know that sport's, you know, a big issue for free-to-air TV. It's sport, reality TV and yes. news. Yep. Interesting story this week in the Financial Review, which uh, had a look at the submissions that are going into the federal government in the review of the anti-siphoning legislation so we've mentioned that before and the anti-siphoning laws in australia are laws designed to ensure that big sporting events are offered to free to wear tv and can't be exclusively taken by paid television or streaming so Mm -hmm. that is if you know if you have a tv set in australia you you have the right to watch these events for free we talk about the likes of the afl grand final The NRL Grand Final, the Melbourne Cup, these types of things that uh, the government thinks that all Australians should have access to, which then impacts the TV rights, how much uh, sports can sell their rights for when there's legislation that protects uh, the market for free-to-air TV. So the Fin Review has had a look at this legislation, which doesn't exist uh, in this way in some other countries, the UK and the US don't have these same protections in place. And they found very interestingly that Rugby Australia has split with uh, most of the other sports and actually calling for a few more things to go on the anti-siphoning lists. Right. So whereas some of the other sports, they don't like the numbers of their uh, events that have to be offered to -to free-to-air TV because that impacts how much they can make from... Um, you know, I guess the the competition through streaming and, and pay yeah. television. So, um, when the market's protected like it is through uh, free to wear, so very interesting. But you know, there's a pretty obvious reason for that, and that is that the numbers of people watching rugby have plummeted. Oh, yeah. So, what that brings us to here is is something that you can't put a dollar value in mm-hmm. a dollar value on, and that is. Um, Uh, what's the benefit of people being able to see my sport? Um, What is that benefit? So, you know, yes, free-to-air TV, that protection that um, they get from the anti-siphoning laws, but there's a flip side to that in the sense that they then ensure that bigger audiences can see certain sports and how do you you uh, value that up so uh, we don't have obviously the answer to that everybody's sports got a different opinion on that but rugby's really showing its hand here and it's a sign that rugby is under the pump um a lot from that and we saw while we've been off jordan cricket australia did a new deal so um, and locked in for five years with Channel 7 and Fox Sports. So they actually had done another deal with Seven. So as part of that deal, Channel 7 drops the legal action that it had against Cricket Australia <laughs> because right. of the current deal. I that. Yeah, so that, that, legis- that, that legal action has been dropped. Yeah. Um, and I guess what we saw about... That, in the reporting of it, was that uh, it was widely reported that Channel 10 and Paramount together Mm. um, made the most expensive bid, so the most lucrative bid financially. But Cricket Australia overlooked that and went for the seven-Fox split. Uh, And one of the reasons they did that was because uh, seven gets higher general audience numbers than 10. And as part of uh, these deals, when you have your sport on there – Uh, you know seven during the cricket you know coming up etc you know they'll have people watching they can do ads uh you know uh, they can publicize uh the cricket through their other big shows so there's that sort of intangible there so um that's something they they have to uh to weigh up but you know i guess we've got channel nine doing the tennis over the next couple of weeks Mm -hmm. which will have big eyeballs as it always seems to do but you know there's always a bit here for tv to think about as well isn't there in these types of deals
1: yeah there certainly is you know the big three sports there the uh, so the big three items there being sport reality tv and news yeah it is a lot for tvs to think about you know for seven grabbing the cricket is great because they'll be able to promote all their shows throughout the year through the cricket and for nine the tennis you know like you said big numbers come across for that you know they've got a heap of shows too that they can push through as
0: ads yeah, so when we're watching the tennis in the next two weeks, uh, there will be a stack of ads for what Channel 9's got coming up. Yeah. What have they got, the block? What yeah. else have they got? Don't know, but there'll be lots of block They'll ads. There'll be heaps. Yeah. They'll we'll be we'll heaps. know it within one day of watching the tennis. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'll be able to give you a full rundown. And we'll see them all day after day, hour after hour, what's coming up on 9 this year. But that's all part of the whole deal. Now, we're almost at the end of our first episode for 2023. We haven't mentioned Twitter and we're not going to. Something will come up next week. But TikTok gets a mention, Jordan. Why are we closing with a mention of TikTok? Look, I came across some
1: data this week, which I thought did a really good job at illustrating the growing concerns surrounding TikTok you know, the security of its uh, users' data and and privacy concerns there. The US has felt less trustworthy, in particular with TikTok, and that's resulted in more than 20 states actually opting to ban the app from being installed on government devices. But what I'm getting at through that is it sort of leaps across to another thing I saw this week, which was a graph looking at government requests to TikTok to remove or moderate content. Yep. So since 2009, the number of government requests to TikTok has actually skyrocketed from 28 to, this year, 2,713 requests. Fairly big increase. Yeah, and this this is sort of sparked mostly by COVID with misinformation or disinformation yep. there. There's been a lot of requests associated with the conflict in uh, Ukraine. Yep. With Russia. they are the main ones that have, you know, sort of... S- triggered the increase, yep. but look, the concern is more from you know, the, the people, the, the social media advisors, the analysts, the people looking on. On the service level, it's good that the government's fighting against misinformation and, yep. and disinformation that the public might be exposed to, but underneath is the sort of growing concern that governments are dictating what people
0: see. Yeah, and I think it comes back to the topic we discuss a bit, and that is how do governments get information out to people? You know, obviously it's information they want to control. In, you know, the pre-internet or social media era particularly, governments had press packs, media galleries that, you know, would be – the most important um, connector between them and the big audiences. Uh, that's changed so much. We know there's fewer journalists uh, than there has been for a long time. And there's the rise of the TikToks and the Facebooks and, you know, the Instagram. So while governments have less scrutiny as such because of fewer journalists, they have a harder uh, job in getting out mass media, uh, getting out mass messages to people. So mm-hmm. therefore – TikTok's, you know, in 2019, like you say, there were 28 government requests for review of information. TikTok was just annoying. It was small. No one cared. Now it's a lot bigger. Yep. And governments are starting to get uh, upset that they can't control the information on that, separate to the privacy concerns. So we'll keep seeing this from governments. Yes, they're happy that they have fewer journalists, but they're unhappy that they can't reach audiences in the old ways that they used to it takes a lot more effort now and who wants to have more effort um <laughs> this weekend what's happening it's my last gig free weekend
1: for a while right. you know after this weekend i'll be back into the normal swing of
0: things so i'm going to enjoy it and lay low what about you Uh, Yeah, well, we're, what, just uh, over a week away from the resumption of school, which is one of the most beautiful days of the year. Mm. It's a superb day. Mm. So, um, yeah, we'll start to ease back towards school, I expect, with uh, hearing more mentions of the word bored. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be my weekend, I think.
1: Excellent. Well, that traffic's going to start easing its way from Springwood now, too, which is great. Of
0: course. (laughs) I've been loving the
1: beautiful 20-odd-minute runs into work lately. It's going to start to double in a minute. Flip
0: sides, they're everywhere.
1: Yes, that's it. Enjoy the weekend. You too.